The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Will robots conquer the world and take away hundreds of millions of jobs from humans? It's not looking likely anytime soon. That's because right now there are more job openings than there are unemployed workers. So how do we keep the economy running smoothly with all these unfilled jobs? Maybe the answer isn't robots, but keeping older workers employed and hiring those who want a job. Welcome to Benchmark. I'm Scott Landman, an economics editor with Bloomberg News in Washington. Returning to the show as guest co-host is Chris Condon. He's a Bloomberg reporter here in D.C. who covers the Federal Reserve and U.S. economy. Chris, welcome back to Benchmark. Glad to be back, Scott. So, Chris, we're coming off a pretty strong U.S. employment report last week. The U.S. added another 223,000 jobs in May, and the unemployment rate ticked down to 3.8%. But one thing that struck me is that the participation rate among people age 65 and over is at 19.8%. And that means that about one out of every five Americans that age either has a job or is actively looking for one. And that's almost double the level from 20 years ago. Uh, Chris, why has this been important to the Fed? Well, Scott, I think it's safe to say that this helps to complicate the job that the Fed has to do. As you know, there. They've got two jobs assigned to them by Congress, and that's to maximize employment in the United States, but also try to keep inflation balanced as close as possible to 2%. And sometimes those things come into conflict. So they very, especially at times when unemployment, as it has been recently, has been dropping, they have to anticipate when is that tighter labor market going to result in higher inflation. Now, when older workers start behaving differently, that starts to change that calculus. If, if older workers represent a greater pool of available workers who perhaps will stay in the labor market or can be incentivized to come back in to the labor market, either full-time or part-time, that starts to complicate that, that calculation that Fed policymakers have to do about uh, what, at what level will unemployment really begin to trigger Inflation. I think when it comes to particularly the, on the lower income side, more older people making themselves available for work, that starts to, to delay that point in which low unemployment will trigger inflation. So more older workers staying in or coming back in you know, basically means a larger labor pool that overall holds down wages That's and right. inflation and you know, keeps – interest rates lower for longer, all else being equal. Right. On the other hand, if there are in the middle and upper income brackets, if older workers stay in the labor market longer, they are disrupting the process by which they may retire and are replaced by uh, new folks just out of school, say, 
that has a disinflationary impact, and they're disrupting that. So it, in a way, it can work in both directions, and as I said, makes it more complicated for the Fed. It is complicated, like you said. And uh, I wanted to say that our interest in this issue was piqued by a Bloomberg opinion column by economist Tyler Cowen. You can check it out at Bloomberg.com. Now, to get some context, we spoke recently with two guests about this issue. Uh, Later, we'll hear from an executive with a utility company that won recognition for its policies aimed at retaining older workers – but first, here's our interview with Gene Setsvand, Senior Vice President of Programs at AARP, the nonprofit group that represents 38 million Americans age 50 and older. Gene, thanks for joining us on Benchmark. Thanks for having me. So I'm going to read a little bit of what Tyler Cowen wrote in his recent column, and I quote here. I would suggest that the ability to spot, mobilize, and deploy older workers is the next biggest source of competitive advantage in the U.S. The sober reality is that many companies should retool their methods to fit better with the experience and sound judgment found so often in older workers. That also will involve a retooling of the glamour notion to valorize the young less and the idea of maturity more. HR departments may have to work harder to help older workers keep up with new technologies. Gene, can we talk a little bit about what he said about the glamour notion to valorize the young? How is it possible in our modern society to overcome some of these ingrained cultural notions? Well, first of all, I want to sort of reach out and hug Tyler for what he wrote. I think he is spot on in terms of tapping into this whole notion of the experience class or what we call older workers, I think the first thing we need to really do with employers, in particular HR staff and employers, is to kind of underscore the fact that there is a business case to be made for experienced workers. If you look at some of the studies that we've done in the past, we actually did a business case uh, together with Aon Hewitt. We actually found sort of hard facts that show that For older workers, they are more motivated than their younger counterparts. They're more engaged. Um, Both of those things really translate into uh, higher productivity. And you couple that, quite frankly, with studies that have been done, particularly by sort of uh, German researchers around the multi-generational workforce, when you actually have multiple generations in the workplace, it's as if um, all age groups actually increase in their overall productivity. So I think there is, first and foremost, the need to actually look at the hard facts in terms of what this will bring for employers that there's a lot of positive aspects of having uh, older workers in the workplace. And when we talk about older workers, uh, what kind of age are we actually talking about here? Is it 50, 55, 60, 65? Well, there's a lot of breakdowns, right, from different definitions. By Department of Labor standards, they usually look at older workers as 55 and above. The typical sort of retirement age is usually 65 and above. Uh, All in all, I think what we're saying is we're actually seeing overall trends in terms of the older cohort of workers uh, increasing in terms of growth. And if you look at, again, sort of the labor statistics, with population growth of the older segment growing more than the younger, we're going to see by 2024, again, this is based on Department of Labor's numbers, by 2024, the 55-plus um, segment will be roughly about 
25% of the workplace. And that's probably the largest age cohort of all across the board. Sheen, why would you say the participation rate of Americans over 65 has been increasing? And in fact, it's been increasing since the 1980s. What's the short answer for why that's happening? I think first and foremost, we have sort of the, the longevity bonus. I think all of us are living longer and healthier lives. So that's one aspect of it. Um, and because of that, I think there's two things at play here. Because you're living longer, you have more productive years. At the same time, you have more years to actually fund from a retirement standpoint. So I think both of those factors is certainly what we see in our surveys as uh, the reasons why people want to work longer. But is it more because people want to work or because they have to work in order to make ends meet as their retirements or, or not their retirements, but their um, their lives are lasting longer, as you mentioned? Again, our surveys have been relatively consistent on this front. And financial needs from a worker's perspective in terms of wanting to work uh, longer, it is financial reasons that are the main drivers. But I also find with some interesting sort of stats out there when we actually look at retirees who actually work, both in terms of our surveys as well as the Retirement Confidence Survey uh, does, again, longitudinal studies. When you actually look at what retirees are saying and why they actually go back to work or are working part-time, it really is that productivity aspect of trying to uh, stay more engaged that is the driver, which I find interesting, right? Um, If truly retirees are having a hard time funding their retirement, I would suspect that we would see that financial would still be the main driver, but that's not necessarily the case right now. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Gene, how can employers be persuaded to embrace this, to retain and hire older workers? Should they be incentivized in some way or is there education involved? Well, I like to think about it this way. Um, We've actually run programs for many years trying to highlight employers who've done this well. And we've seen that in certain industries, there are some employers that do this well because they have a chronic skill shortage. So if you look at, for example, healthcare, some from academia, as well as financial institutions where there's a chronic skill shortage, they actually do a a very good job in having sort of this age-diverse workforce um, and really focusing on retention, uh, workplace policies and practices for experienced workers. So I think really having employers kind of underscore the true business value in in having uh, an age-diverse workforce is one aspect of this. What is interesting to me in the whole um, notion of education that I think we should really underscore is on the talent acquisition side. 
What we don't see a lot of is intentional hiring of experienced workers across the board. And a little bit of, a, of this, I think, uh, to your point around education, I think would, could go a long way. Uh, again, reinforcing, particularly among recruiters, the benefits of, um, again, multi-generational workforce, and also figuring out where best to tap the talent, um, because unlike, you know, ready-made scalable pools of um, uh, new applicants in college grads or um, graduate school grads, I think it's probably a little bit harder to kind of find um, uh, experienced workers on that. Jean, I wanted to talk about a phrase I heard you just say. I heard you say intentional recruitment of older workers. And you know, often when we hear about this topic, it's more in the context of age discrimination and how to deal with that issue. And I'm wondering, is age discrimination in the U.S. today, has it gotten worse in recent years or is it better, you know, say, than 10 years ago or 20 years ago? It's hard to tell, I'll say that. But we just celebrated the 50th anniversary of the Age Discrimination Employment Act. And unfortunately, it's still very much out there. In terms of the trends, again, it's a little bit hard to tell for a couple of reasons. We definitely see basically the same number of, of reports, I would say, but in recent years, it's harder for particularly employees to file an age discrimination case because of uh, the Supreme Court ruling against the gross case. So age discrimination uh, compared to other discriminations is almost a second class discrimination. There is a higher claim. Uh, in other words, if you want to file an age discrimination case, it has to be the sole force behind the disparate impact. So, but for anything else, that was the main reason why you were treated differently. Unlike other factors where it's more of a motivating factor or a contributing factor. So it's, again, hard to say whether it's worse or not, but it certainly is harder for uh, employees to fight against this notion. Now, older workers can run into some other barriers, Gene. How, how often would you say that when they're looking for a job, they're not necessarily disqualified because they're too old, but because the, the perhaps the employer thinks their salary requirements are too high uh, or because the position is more of a junior posting, those types of barriers? How, how important is that? Our surveys don't exactly ask exactly the question that you asked, but we do um, have fielded this question focused on negative impacts based on age. And our studies, again, over the course of many years have been pretty consistent in, in, in seeing that either one in six or one in five um, folks will tell us that they weren't hired as a result of their age. And we also have seen recently uh, with another case, uh, a cyber case out of the 11th Circuit Courts of Appeals, where there's a favorable ruling where for a while it was unclear whether job applicants were covered under the ADEA, Age Discrimination Employment Act, uh, or whether it was a full-time employee here had to be a part of that company already. But currently, it's, there was an appeals case where this gentleman, Mr. Kleiber, was looking for a job that definitely qualified for a position that was soliciting for applicants that had no more than seven years experience. And so he um, sued against the company 
at first uh, it was he was overruled, and um, but uh, in the Court of Appeals in the Eleventh Circuit, I apologize, they found in his favor, saying that job applicants are also covered under ADEA. So that is a favorable ruling on behalf of job applicants. Clearly, Jean, you guys have a vast store of information on this topic, and it's been really fascinating speaking with you about this. Gene Setsvant of AARP, thank you so much for being with us on Benchmark. Thank you for having me. That was our interview with Gene Setsvant, Senior Vice President at AARP. Now, for a corporate perspective, here's our talk with Keith Hutchison, He's the Senior Vice President of HR and Chief Diversity Officer for National Grid USA. That's the American division of the UK-based electric utility. He joins us from their offices in Massachusetts. Keith, thanks for coming on Benchmark with us. Thanks for having me. So National Grid recently won an award from Columbia University's Public Health School for employers that excel at hiring and retaining workers over age 50. What would you highlight that sets National Grid apart in this regard? So one of the things that sets National Grid apart is uh, a couple of things, actually. Um, Firstly, we are a long-term asset business. So the work that we do, the services that we provide for our customers are based on installing assets which are intended to last for decades. Uh, Many of the gas pipes and electric lines that uh, provide energy needs to our customers today uh, have either been installed or built uh, many, many years ago by employees who have attained uh, long service uh, with our company. And so it's really important for us to be able to retain the experience around managing and maintaining those assets for our customers. And so as a result, uh, our the offering that we have to our employees is based on the fact that you join National Grid and there is a long-term career path for you uh, with our company. And we celebrate that by having career milestone awards for employees that exceed 40 years of service with our company. And that's crucial for us because they have the knowledge of the equipment, the assets that we have in the ground, overhead lines um, that need to be maintained every single day to provide a safe and reliable service to our customers. So this is uh, we are in a different industry from others in that we rely on the long-term skills of our, of our workforce and we value it incredibly. Keith, would you say that it's becoming increasingly important to National Grid, these these workers that are, say, over 50? It is. On the one hand, you could look at it and say that, you know, retirement for a lot of our workers are, are is inevitable and that we just have to accept that fact and plan for it. We take a different view at National Grid. We say, actually, there is a, there is a really important role to, for, for experienced workers to play in our company. For example, uh, there is a war for talent in the market. You know, you've seen the recent unemployment numbers issued recently. Unemployment is going down, which means that the availability of talent and resources in the market is becoming incredibly competitive. And so for us, we are looking at the next generation of workers that need to be trained in how to do the work at National Grid. And that requires us to look at STEM-related 
related career paths for new hires. But we need the workers, the experienced workers, to be part of the training and the knowledge transfer to those new folks coming into National Grid. Because many of the career paths that we have in our company require training and development for five or six years to be fully competent. That's a long time to join the company before you become fully competent to do a role. The role that an experienced worker plays in our company, not just doing the work, but mentoring and training the next generation is incredibly important. So in our view, given the fact that we will be recruiting more people in advance of many of the retirements that are planned over the next 10 years, means that the role that they will play for our company is more critical now than ever. So are you recruiting people that are older or is it really you bring in people when they're younger and just work on making sure they stick around for a long time? So it's a combination of the two. I think typically we have always looked at recruiting folks at a younger age and then training them. Actually, in recent years, we've taken a different approach, and and that's generated a number of the initiatives that we have in flight now, which is looking at how might we attract uh, folks who are more experienced, who might be at the midpoint in their career in other companies or on other industries that can be retrained, so that it's actually not just being fully reliant on people selecting engineering as a discipline or as a career path and joining National Grid so that we can train them. It's actually saying there is tremendous value in us attracting acting folks who might be uh, who might have had a successful career elsewhere that we want to bring over to national grid so it's a combination of the two and actually one of the challenges that we have that we're grappling with at the moment is how do you make it attractive for somebody to leave an organization if they've been there for 20 years or so to join national grid at that point it's a different proposition than going out to the graduate market and saying start your career with national grid because we offer you x y and z it's a completely different attraction challenge that we will have for attracting experienced workers. But it's one that we see the value in and one that we're prepared to invest in. Do you have any estimates or hard numbers, Keith, on what proportion of your workforce is over 50? And and perhaps is that, do you know whether that is increasing? It is increasing. So at the moment in our U.S. business, 41% of our employees are over the age of 50. And that number is increasing. Um, it is increasing every year. Um, so, uh, And we have ma- both management employees and represented employees uh, as well. And the numbers are broadly the same. For management employees, it's around 42%. Uh, and for our union workforce, it's, it's about 40%. So broadly the same, uh, averaging 41 Now, Keith, you've worked in different parts of the business. Is there anything that you've personally uh, learned in your career or any particular experiences you've had, you know, with mentors or older workers in your career? Absolutely. I mean, I, I every I've been very fortunate enough to have moved around the business. I've worked uh, supporting both our transmission, gas distribution side of the business, U.S. and U.K. And the one thing that I have always valued tremendously about National Grid is the incredible importance that history has in both our values, but in also how we uh, develop people's career paths. So we have a tremendous history. We are we are not a company that is uh, that has only been around for a few years, and and a lot of our workers value that. And a lot of our learning about where we're going in the future is rooted in where we've come from. And the the best place to get that that, and in my personal experience through getting mentors, is how has the company, what what has the company experienced up to this point, and what does that tell us about where we need to go next? That can be either in the HR profession or it can be within the operations profession, and I see it being incredibly important on both sides of that. 
Now, Keith, as you know, unemployment in the U.S. has dropped below 4%. We hear a lot of reports of employers struggling to fill open positions, particularly skilled positions. How is National Grid responding to that, uh, perhaps partly with wage increases, if that's the case? Uh, and, and on this subject that we're talking about, do you do anything in particular to incentivize older workers to stay on past the point where they might have retired? Sure. Well, let me first say, uh, I mean, it's a great time to be a candidate in the market. You know, with unemployment so low, there has never been a better time to be a candidate because you're you're now going to be uh, having companies and industries touting for your skills. So, uh, so, and we're acutely aware of that. We know that what we offer in terms of uh, compensation and benefits in some areas needs to be competitive, but we also have an obligation to our ratepayers. You know, we are a regulated utility and we have an obligation to be able to show that what we pay, the benefits that we offer, can be justified as being value added to our to our customers. Every bit of income that we get is given to us by customers who pay their bills. So we cannot be frivolous. So we have to do a lot of work to, uh, to analyze what are our competitors doing, what are the movements in the market, uh, and how do we respond uh, accordingly? What have we done specifically around benefits? Well, we are, uh, we've recently launched, in fact, yesterday, we launched a caregiver program. We're looking at a suite of benefits in the company now that are looking at targeting people at different points in their career with the company. The caregiver benefits cover people who have just started out a family uh, who need support around childcare, but it also extends to people who may be caring for an elderly or sick relative, because we know that given the fact that society is aging, not just our workforce, the chances are that it, most of our employees will at some point be required to care for an elderly or sick relative in their life. And we we recognize that and we want to be able to provide support to people so that they can continue uh, to flourish in their career, but get the support that they need outside of work as well. And we recognize that. And we're looking at a number of other solutions around benefits that will help people to make choices about their career uh, rather than give up work early when they're simply not ready to do that. One of the things that we recognize in our workforces, many of our field workers feel compelled that they have to retire and that that's the only option available to them. We don't agree with that. And we're challenging that conventional thinking. We think, let's have a conversation early on with our employees that says, you are reaching uh, nearing retirement age, but let's have a conversation about what you want to do, because there is tremendous value you can continue to add to our business, whether it be retraining, whether it be going into uh, a back office position uh, within the company so that actually we can help them facilitate a phased retirement rather than what many employees have, have, have traditionally experienced, which is they reach the retirement age and they have no choice but to retire. And we think that challenging those conventional uh, wisdoms of the, of the past is really where the value can be in getting the most out of our workforce long after they reach retirement eligibility. Last question, Keith. I wanted to take a little bit more of a global perspective. Obviously, our listeners can tell from your accent that you're not from Massachusetts. You're from <laughs> Scotland, right? I am, yes. And I wanted to commend you because I heard you say X, Y, and Z before, and your countrymen <laughs> might might not appreciate that, but but you've adapted pretty well to America by not saying X, Y, and Z. So uh, I wanted you. to give you credit for that. But, you know, National Grid is a longstanding UK company. I believe you've worked in both places. Can, can you explain any 
differences between the U.S. and U.K. on on the issue of employing older workers, or, or are they in pretty similar situations? Firstly, thank you for recognizing my uh, my transition to the U.S. I, I work very hard and get a lot of pressure from my colleagues to adapt to the lingo, so I'm glad to get the recognition. I don't believe there is much of a difference, and I think it's more of a, a an industry challenge, and I, I think that's not unique to the United States. I think it's the same challenge in the U.K. Um, the amount of investment that we place in the skilled workforce, the highly skilled and capable workforce that we have in the U.S. and the U.K. requires years of investment. And our assets are the same. You know, the, 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 they may differ in design, but ultimately they are assets that have been designed to withstand and exist for many decades to come. Uh, and many of the assets that we manage, that we maintain today um, have been around for, for decades as well. And that's the same in the UK. Um, our workforces are, are broadly similar in terms of their career trajectory and age profile. I would say that we have a larger workforce here in the US. And so we are probably facing a more acute challenge around that um, than the UK, but the but the path is, is is very similar. I would say that one of the things that we are spearheading for the company in the US is looking more at experienced workers. We've got an initiative at the moment which is looking at how we can attract and retain experienced workers more uh, in National Grid. And we're going to start that work off in the US simply because um, our workforce numbers are greater in the US and unemployment is coming down. Uh, rapidly as well. Any learnings that we have or that we're able to take from that work, we will absolutely apply to the UK and help the business in the UK do that. But the great thing is we can test and trial uh, and experiment with some of these ideas and initiatives in the US because there's such great opportunity to do that. And the UK will, uh, will undoubtedly take any best practice that we can offer. All right. Keith Hutchison of National Grid, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Benchmark will be back next week. Until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, our Bloomberg app, and podcast destinations such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. We'd love it if you took the time to rate and review the show so more listeners can find us. You can also check us out on Twitter. Follow me at Scott Landman. Chris, you're at Chris J. Condon. Our guest, Gene Setsvan from AARP, is at J-S-E-T-Z. And our guest, Keith Hutchison from National Grid, is at H-U-T-C-H-I-S-O-N-K-R. Benchmark is produced by Topher Forges. The head of Bloomberg Podcasts is Francesca Levy. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for the Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash Future Investor slash Radio. 